The reading is Matthew 10 and verses 26 to 31. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Thanks, Liz. Can we pray? And then we'll look at God's word together. Uh, Father God, I pray that you'll speak to us now. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, may it affect our hearts, our minds, and our actions as we leave here this evening. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to start with a bit of audience participation, if I may. Okay, a bit of word association. Okay, I'm going to put some words on the screen, and I'd like you to shout out what's the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, happy? Okay, word number one. Knife, spoon. Okay, nice cutlery theme, okay. Second word. Boy, girl. Okay, that's the obvious one. What about this one? Cat, dog. Okay, we're getting good at this. Here's three more. Okay. Holiday. Beach. What did you say? Sunshine. Relaxation. Yeah, good. This one? Football. Yeah, hate it, love it. I don't know. Mixed of the response. What about this one? Soon. I don't know. What did you say, Dave? Jesus. Yes, Dave. Good. Jesus born at Christmas. Now, this final word, okay, don't say anything. Just think it. Okay, what comes to your mind when you see this word? Evangelism. Okay, the prospect of sharing our faith, of speaking of the one we love, Jesus Christ. I wonder if the word that came to your mind was this. Fear. Now, there's lots of reasons, aren't there, that that could be the response we have towards evangelism. It might be a fear of people, right? What people might think, what what people might say, what people might do if we speak of Jesus. It might be fear of the consequences of speaking of Christ, maybe facing rejection from others, uh, the risk of offending others, maybe the risk of losing a friendship with someone else. It could be the fear of failure. I just don't know what to say. How would I even begin a conversation to share my faith with someone else? What if I mess up? Maybe that's the fear. Maybe you face the fear of a Monday morning conversation as you go to work or you meet someone in the street and they say, what did you do at the weekend? You're like, oh no, don't ask me that because I might have to say something about what I did or what I believe. And as we continue in Matthew chapter 10, Fear might have been a response of the disciples, right? We've seen in our two sermons so far that things have been put in their way from Jesus in terms of what it's going to be like as they go and speak and live for Jesus. In verse 9, Wellesley in his first sermon talked about they're going to go with, with nothing, with no provisions. That's scary. 
Verse 16 talks about them going out like sheep among wolves. And I don't know about you, but the one thing for sure is that the sheep come out second best in that situation. Right? Sheep amongst wolves. They're to be flogged, on trial, arrested, betrayed, killed, hated by everyone, persecuted. And as we get to verse 26, which is the start of our passage tonight, we might expect to read Jesus saying to his disciples, So, fellas, as you go... Be afraid. (laughs) Be very afraid. But that's not what we read. We, in fact, read, So, in light of all the persecution that's going to come your way, do not be afraid of them. And he doesn't just say it once. He says it three times. In our passage in verse 26, in 28, and again in 31, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, how is this possible? Right, as we're sat here, how's it possible to fear not when speaking of Jesus might cost so much? Well, amazingly, Jesus doesn't just speak in a vacuum. Right? He doesn't just leave them with three commands to obey. Don't be afraid. He says it three times. He doesn't just say, fear not guys, all the best. Good luck with that. No, he follows up these three commands to obey with three amazing promises for them to believe in. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Three encouragements for the disciples then in Matthew chapter 10, but also for us sat here this evening. Three clear encouragements to speak of Jesus. Can we go for it? Okay, get your Bibles open if you have closed them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 starts with this. And this is our first point. Reason number one, don't be afraid. Why? Because God wins. So don't be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. You see, as we look out at the world we live in, what does it do? It takes God's good design for things and wrecks them and spoils them and distorts them, doesn't it? It takes what God says is wrong and celebrates it and endorses it and lives by that way. Whether it's sex or greed, idolatry, identity. And it condemns the gospel. Right, And it condemns anyone who is associated with Jesus Christ as unloving, intolerant, bigoted. And so to live in that world might cause us to feel afraid, right? Fear of being mischaracterized by the world. Fear of what people might think if we do make a stand for Jesus. Maybe fear thinking, maybe the world's right. Maybe the message of the gospel isn't what I thought it was. Maybe they're right. Well, in verse 26, Jesus wants to assure us of something. As we look at the world we live in, he wants to to assure us that even though the truth of Jesus might seem concealed, even though the truth of Jesus might seem hidden, even though the way of the world might seem successful and appealing, one day... The truth of Jesus will triumph. One day, the way of the world will be shown to be what it really is. Just an empty lie. Today, people might take the truth of God's word and reject it. And cast it out and bury it, pretend it doesn't exist. They may take God's people and reject them. 
cast them out. And we'll see in a moment, maybe even bury them. But it doesn't matter, says Jesus. It doesn't matter what the world says now. It matters what God Almighty will say then, on that final day. And his words for those that love Jesus and trust in Jesus on that day will be well done, good and faithful servant. You see, there's no need for us to be afraid. Why? Because in the end, God wins. And it's not a partial victory. It is a full and complete one. Notice the language. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that won't be revealed. There is nothing that won't be made right. There is no injustice that won't be dealt with. In the end, God will win. And if we are found in Jesus, we will be victorious with him. God wins. And not only does God win then, but now he invites us to share his victorious message with the world. See what it says in 27? What I tell you in the dark... Speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Now again, in Jesus' day, you might know this from the story of the paralyzed man. They lived with flat roof houses. We know that, don't we? And so they used those flat roofs as a bit of a patio area. Okay, they'd eat up there. They might sleep up there. They would have social events up there. And if they wanted to make an announcement to their street or to their neighbors or to the people walking past, they'd simply stand up on their rooftops and they'd shout, right? They'd shout the message that they wanted to be heard to those around them. Now, I'm not saying that you're to go home tonight, flatten your roof, stand up and start shouting to your neighbors and those around you. But I think there's a principle here for us to note about what it looks like to speak of Jesus. And I think it's this. That sharing Jesus is to be a public spoken message. A public spoken message. You might be aware of this quote. It's quite a famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi. And he said this, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Have you heard that quote before? Preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. Now it is true It really is true that our lives and actions matter, don't they? To the world around us as they watch our witness. And Paul affirms that multiple times in the Gospels, and particularly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says to the Thessalonian church, because we loved you so much, church, we were delighted to share our lives with you, doesn't he? That's what Paul says. We are called to love people, to serve people, to be there for people, But there's a danger we can use that as an excuse, can't we? We can be there for people, loving them, serving them. But what if we never share? We're there all the time, but we never share about our faith. Coming back to Paul's verse, he doesn't just say, share your lives, church, with one another, and that's what we did to you. He says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You see, there must come a point where we speak the gospel. We say something of Jesus. Now again, what on earth does that look like, right? To say something of Jesus for us as we look ahead to our week, maybe ahead or month ahead or year ahead. What does it look like for us to speak of Jesus? Well, I think three things tonight 
could be a way of application of what it might look like for us to speak of Jesus. Three little phrases. Know it, keep it, speak it. Okay, know it, keep it, speak it. Let's start with know it. Again, you'll notice in verse 27, it says, what I tell you. And I wonder, do you know what Jesus says? Do you know the message of Jesus? I think that could be applied in two ways. Firstly, do you know it as in, are you trusting it? Are you trusting in the good news of Jesus for yourself this evening? I don't want to assume anything. Do you love Jesus? Have you accepted him into your life? Are you trying to live for him in the world out there? I pray and trust you are. Do you know the message of Jesus? But a second way of application could be, if you were asked to verbalize the message of Jesus, would you be able to? Would you know what the gospel is and how to say it to someone else? Now, there's lots of brilliant resources on there that can help us do this, to know the gospel. Before we share the gospel with someone else, we need to know it ourselves first. That makes sense, doesn't it? To know what it is. There's brilliant resources. Um, you might have heard of the two ways to live resource that gives uh, a framework to understand the gospel. You might have been at uh, the church weekend away a few we- years ago and we looked at the bridge diagram. Do you remember that? Uh, Catherine, you remember that as well? And it just helpful frameworks of explaining what the gospel is. But I think the first priority is wherever our starting point is to help each other, right? To help each other know and treasure and love the gospel ourselves so that we're in a place to share it with other people. And to practice, right? To practice understanding what is the gospel and how would I verbalize the cross to someone who's never heard it before in a simple, clear way that they may understand and engage with it. So first of all, know it. Do you know the gospel message? Secondly, keep it. Again, coming back to that phrase, what I tell you, says Jesus. That's what you're to share. What Jesus says we are to share. Now it's tempting, isn't it, to view the gospel a little bit like a pick and mix, right? We have a lot of the things we like and none of the things we don't. We fill our bags with the things we like and we leave the things that we don't like or we don't think other people will find palatable out of the picture altogether. Jesus says no. Tell them what I told you. Nothing less, nothing more. Keep it as it is, as you received it. Our job isn't to decide what the gospel is. Our job is to be faithful to what the gospel is. Know it. Keep it. And thirdly, speak it. The Nike slogan, the famous Nike slogan, just do it. We know that phrase, don't we? Well, I think there comes a time, doesn't there, with God's strength and with his help, that we need to step out of our comfort zone and go for it. To gulp and go for it and say something of the good news of Jesus. To speak it. And that's not to say we need to say everything. But it does mean that we need to say something. Something of who Jesus is. Something of what we believe. Something of the gospel. Imagine a 100 meter sprinter. Right? Usain Bolt. He's trained for years for his big 100-meter final. He gets to the stadium. The crowd are going wild. He gets to the starting line. And what does he do? Ready. Oh, I'm ready, says Usain Bolt. I've been practicing for years. Gets set. He gets down in his haunches, ready to run the race. 
and then he goes home. What would the point be for Usain Bolt to get ready, set, and then leave? No point at all. But we can be the same sometimes, can't we? We can know the gospel, we can keep the gospel, but then we leave. We miss the point to say the gospel, to speak the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. And Jesus says there comes a point where the good news has to be spoken for those that don't know it to believe in it. So there's point number one. Don't be afraid, says Jesus. Why? Because in the end, God wins. And you're part of his victory and sharing his victory message to the world around us. Second reason comes in the next verse. What is it? God rules. God rules. Verse 28 Jesus makes a clear distinction and a clear comparison between what we shouldn't be afraid of and what we should be afraid of. You'll see there at the beginning, do not be afraid of who? Of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't be afraid of of people, Jesus said. Now again, we started at the beginning, didn't we, of giving some reasons why we might be afraid of people, what they might say what they might think, what they might do. And these are real fears, right? As I think about myself and I look around the room, these are real fears as we are in our workplaces and streets and families of what people might think, say, and do to us. But in perspective, we are incredibly blessed, aren't we, here this evening? There was no fear of us tonight having the police break through the doors and stop this meeting. No fear of people following us and finding this church building and discovering that we are Christians and that we're living for Christ. There is a reality out there of millions of people, millions of Christians, brothers and sisters, who have a genuine fear of imprisonment, of torture, of death for their faith in Jesus Christ. So how can we say that to us, okay, that don't fear those that can kill the body, but how can we say that to them? Can we really say that? Don't be afraid. They might kill you. Don't be afraid. Well, I think it's important to focus and zoom in on not what they can do, but what they can't do. Did you read that there? What are they unable to do? They may be able to kill the body. A painful reality for us, for them. But in the grand scheme of things, They can't touch the thing that really matters. They can't touch the soul. They can't touch the real you, the essence of who you are. Your soul is safe. Even though the body may be destroyed, your soul, if you love or are in Christ, is safe. And how do I know that? Because Jesus tells us, the Gospel of Paul, Colossians 3, verse 3, for those that have trusted in Christ, those that have died in Christ, your life is now hidden. With Christ in God. That's a reality for you this evening. Your life, your soul, the essence of who you really are is safe in Christ forever. And no person, no matter what they do to you, can change that. God rules. God's in charge. So don't fear people. Fear God. And that's the point that he moves on to. Don't fear people, but do fear God. Rather, 
Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We are to fear God. And fear God alone. In essence, Jesus is saying, get your fear right, disciples. Fear the one who really is powerful. Fear the one who can determine the destiny of your soul, the reality and essence of who you really are. And it's not fear in the sense of, of cowering and hiding from God, but it is a fear in the sense of awe and wonder at God. Because if we really feared God, if we really saw him as he is and worshipped him in his majesty and glory and might and power, we wouldn't have any fear left for men. If we really fear God as we ought, we would obey and speak of him, no matter the opposition. A guy called Lord Lawrence, who was the, the Viscount of India during the British Empire days. He was buried at Westminster Abbey. And at his graveside are written these words. He feared man so little because he feared God so much. Wouldn't you want that to be written on your grave? He feared man so little because he feared God so much. He didn't have any fear left for men because he got God right. He got God right. And that's the issue. Fear God. But there's another point of application as we finish this point before we move to our final point. Although it says, don't be afraid of people. I wonder tonight, do we fear for people? Do we fear for, for people? The man on the screen here is called D.L. Moody. And he was a famous evangelist. Uh, and he once traveled over to England on one of his famous evangelical tours, sharing and speaking of Jesus throughout the whole of the UK. And on his visit, he was visited by three priests or clergymen or vicars that came to his hotel. And they were intrigued at this man. How can someone with so little education uh, bring, draw so big crowds? How can he speak with such authority of Jesus Christ? And how and why are so many people coming to trust in Jesus Christ? And so they asked them, what motivates you, D.L. Moody, to do what you do, to be what you are? And so they were in a hotel room and he invited them to come and look out of the window. And he asked them, as you look out, what do you see? And out the hotel window, there was a park. And so one by one, the clergymen began to describe what they saw. People walking in the park, children were having fun. They, they, they described what they saw in the park and the people and what they were doing. One of the clergymen turned to D.L. Moody and said, what do you see? And with tears streaming down his face, D.L. Moody said, I see thousands, countless of souls going to spend an eternity in hell if they don't find a savior you see Dale Moody got it right like in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus sees people as sheep harassed and helpless needing a savior Dale Moody saw people through Jesus' lenses I think the point being this is real (laughs) it's not a game It matters. 
As we look outside of our windows, what do we see? People that we know. People that we love. Who are going to spend an eternity separated from the God who made them. Unless they find a saviour. Will this not drive us to our knees? To pray? To pray to the one that can do something about that? To pray to the God who he alone can save? Will it not drive us to speak with urgency and boldness in view of eternity? I pray that we will see people as Jesus does, lost and in need of a savior. Do we fear for people? Well, we've seen that God wins in the end, so don't fear, don't fear. We've seen that God rules, so fear him, not people. And thirdly and finally, a reason not to fear is that God cares. God cares. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The word sparrow there. Uh, is an interesting one, and it's used to refer to little birds, not specifically the sparrow species that we know of now. It's a more general term of little birds. And these birds were bought, as it says in the verse there, bought and sold for two, two for a penny. Um, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, it even says that you could buy um, you could buy five for two pennies. So it's almost the idea, buy four and we'll throw one in for free. Right. I guess the point being that these birds are are cheap, (laughs) they're insignificant, they're just little birds. They were often used for like finger food, little delicacies, you know, like the starter of chicken wings of the day. You know, just insignificant, cheap little birds, two for a penny birds. And yet what does it say about them? (laughs) Verse 29, not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. You mean God cares for two a penny birds? Cheap, insignificant birds? Yeah. God knows about them. God cares about them. God made them. Not a single insignificant bird falls to the ground outside of God's will and knowledge. He mentions the words, you know, your father, this kind of intimate knowledge and understanding that God has for birds. Insignificant, cheap, two for a penny birds. And he doesn't just focus on birds. He focuses then on hair. Right, not even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, on the average human scalp, (laughs) there are 140,000 hair. Now, I don't want to say anything because, you know, bringing the average down, but I look around the room, you know, some helpers as well. Right, but on an average, 140,000 hairs per head. And it doesn't say that God counts them. It says God numbers them. Interesting that, isn't it? He numbers the hairs of our head. You know, you pull one out, there goes 362, right? You pull one out, it it numbered knowledge and understanding by God. He identifies every hair on our head individually and uniquely. Uh, So, so why is, why is Jesus saying this? Okay, these, these birds, these hairs on your head, if God is concerned about cheap, insignificant birds, concerned about the hairs on our head, well, they are reasons, aren't they, for us not to be afraid. Why? Well, the verse finishes. (laughs) Don't be afraid. 
you are worth more than many sparrows and more than many hairs in your head. You can kind of bind the two. If God takes such care in knowing and understanding little birds and knowing and understanding the hairs on our head, how much more will he care for us? How much more does he care for you here tonight? You see, suffering for speaking for Jesus isn't because God is disinterested. It's not because God doesn't care. He does care. He is close. He is interested. He cares tremendously. We are of great value to God. We are precious to him. And our value is shown by what it cost God. Right? That he sent his one and only son. He was willing to give his son to secure our salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's how much you're worth. The giving of God's son. So in summary, don't be afraid to speak of Jesus, to live for Jesus. Why? Three clear encouragements for the disciples then. Three clear encouragements for us tonight. God wins, God rules, God cares. But again, what does it look like for us to live in light of that this week? Please don't be in danger of being Usain Bolt in the 100 meters, right? To be ready, to be set, but not go and actually do something with what you've heard tonight. So to help us, to help us think through what it might look like for us to go and speak of Jesus this week, I'm going to set as a bit of a challenge. Okay, a bit of a challenge for us to think through and pray through and maybe action tonight, maybe action at some point this week. What could it look like for you this week to send a message to someone? Now, that might be a text message. That might be a letter. That might be an email. That might be a conversation. But what could it look like for you to have a conversation with someone saying, you know what? I love Jesus. And I'd love to tell you why he means so much to me. I'd love to have a conversation. I'd love to speak to you and share with you something about what Christianity means, who Jesus is, why he means so much to me. That might be someone that you've already had a conversation with before many times, but don't give up on them. Maybe ask again and have a conversation. That might be someone that you've never spoken to about Jesus. They might not even know you're a Christian, but it could be that you say, you know what? I'd love to grab a coffee with you. I'd love to speak to you and share with you why Christianity means so much to me. Would you ask someone? Would you write a letter? Would you write a a text? Now, even as I say that, you may be sat there and thinking, no chance. I'm afraid. Right? What have you learned tonight? Don't be afraid. God wins. God rules. God cares. So pray with knees knocking, right? Get help. Ask your husband or wife or children to kind of... What, what should I write down? How should my text be? What words should I use? Who, who should I ask? But could you ask someone? Could you send a message and say, I'd love to have a coffee, a coffee. I'd love to speak to you and share with you what I believe. And then next week when we come here, ask someone, how did it go? Did you do it? Yeah, I did. Were you afraid? Yeah, I was. Did you? Yeah, I did. God wins, God rules, God cares. 
And the reality is, they might say no. You might send them a text and say, no, you're all right, thanks. They might say, nah, don't believe that rubbish. But the truth is, success isn't based on fruit. <laughs> Leave that for Jesus. Our success is based on being faithful. To know it, to keep it, to speak it. And if you did that, that's success in God's eyes. But you know what? They might just say, yeah. You might send someone a text this week and say, I'd love to grab a coffee to share with you about my faith. And they might say, I'd love to. I'd love to. When? I'm going to finish by sharing a story. You might know that me and Lisa, in the summers for the last three years, we've gone out to Italy. And we've worked with young adults, 18 to 25-year-olds, from all across Europe to train them to live for Jesus in the world of sport. And after one of our sessions, we challenged them a little bit like this a few years ago. A guy from Serbia was in the group, and we challenged them. Could you send a text message to someone to say, when I get home back to Serbia, I'd love to share what I've been doing with you this month and what I've learned about Jesus and how I means so much to me. And he was like, no chance. No chance am I doing that. It took us about three weeks to convince him to send this text message. But eventually he did it. He sent a text message thinking, there's no way he's even going to get back to me. He's going to think I'm an idiot. No chance. About an hour later, he got a reply from the guy he sent a message to saying, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to meet up when you get back. When? And so they arranged a date after they got back from this month-long mission experience. And so when he got home, <laughs> he didn't bottle it. He went for it. And for a few weeks, they were able to meet and share in terms of what they did during the week. And they began to read the Bible together. And six months later, my friend from Serbia... And his friend that he read the Bible with were together at a conference, both of them loving and trusting Jesus. God wins. God rules. God cares. And he calls us to speak. Say something. Say something of Jesus. And who knows what God could do. Immeasurably, immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage. And Lord, fear is a reality. But Lord, thank you that you encourage us not to fear. In the face of people or situations or circumstances, Lord, you give us clear encouragement to trust you, to trust your victory in the end, to trust that you rule and reign, not people. And to trust that you really care about us. You love us far more than sparrows. And so Lord, I pray that you'd help us this week to go for it. With your help and in your strength to say something of the good news of Jesus. I pray we take this challenge seriously. Not out of guilt or duty, but out of a love for the lost. And Lord, we pray that you'd be merciful and gracious to lost people. Save them from an eternity without you. And into a reality of a relationship with you forever. And so Lord we pray. And we ask this in Jesus precious name. Amen.